Hey, everybody, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Preacher Boys podcast. I make this show for you, and I hope that you really enjoy it. I have a lot of people that ask me how they can support the show financially, and you can do that by heading over to patreon.com slash preacherboys. You're going to get access to exclusive content, including early releases of episodes. I've got a couple episodes right now that have been released at least a month early over on Patreon. You've got access to things like unique merch, depending on what tier you join, and you get access to some behind-the-scenes content that I'm posting within the group. So head over to patreon.com slash preacherboys and become a member over there today. Every single supporter helps make this show a little bit more possible, especially as I continue to add additional episodes and content every single week. Thank you so much for tuning in. Let's get back to the show. Hey guys, it's Eric here from the Preacher Boys podcast. As you know, credibility and transparency are both extremely important to me. And that's why I want to let you guys know that the version of the episode you're listening to right now has been edited since its original release in order to honor some of the parties that are involved with some of the cases that we talked about on the show. Because of some of the current legal proceedings, I've been asked to edit a couple things out of the show uh, just on behalf of some of the people who were mentioned initially. And I want to respect those wishes. They've been very kind. And I want to make sure that I do everything I can to let you guys know when a change like this is made. And uh, I want to make sure that I respect all the wishes of people who are involved in some of these uh, extremely difficult stories and situations. So just want to let you guys know that I didn't want to just edit something and just let it slide by. I want to make sure I let you guys know that I made this change and uh, really hope that you appreciate the episode as it stands. There's still a lot that we cover here that I think is really valuable. And I do appreciate so much Mickey coming on the show and sharing so openly with me. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to the Preacher Boys podcast, and I will catch you at the end of the episode. All right, guys. Thanks so much. Trigger warning. This podcast contains descriptions of various abusive situations. Listener discretion is advised. You are listening to the Preacher Boys Podcast, a podcast shedding light on decades of mental, physical, and sexual abuse within the independent fundamental Baptist movement. The testimonies shared on this podcast are told from the personal experience and perspective of the survivors. Not all legal outcomes are known or final. Any suspect is presumed innocent until proven guilty in the court of law. To find more information about the Preacher Boys podcast and upcoming documentary, visit PreacherBoysDoc.com or connect on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter with the handle at PreacherBoysDoc. Now, here is your host, Eric Skwarzynski. Hey, everybody. Today's episode of the Preacher Boys podcast was actually recorded back in June of 2020. I want to let you know that for two reasons. One, you'll be able to tell by my appearance and by the quality of my microphone that this was done in the early days of the show, the wild, wild west of the Preacher Boys podcast. And next, it's because some of the things that we talk about, while the case that's talked about primarily is extremely relevant and active right now, uh, some of the details around some of the figures that we mentioned have changed. Most notably, we mentioned Josh Duggar quite a bit at the end of the episode. And of course, there's been a lot of updates that have happened since then. So I don't want you to be confused as you're watching because it sounds like we're ignoring some of the biggest parts of the Duggar story. That's because at the time of recording, that news had not broken yet. That had broken in May 2021. 
this month. And so as you watch the episode, keep that in mind. This was recorded in June 2020. But also remember how interesting it is that some of the things we talked about are still so relevant almost a year later. All right, guys, thank you so much for letting me get that quick disclaimer out of the way. I really hope you appreciate this episode with Mickey DeBerry. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Preacher Boys podcast. I'm sitting here with Mickey DeBerry. We're going to be talking about a lot of really interesting topics that I think I know they surprised me, and I think they'll surprise some of the people listening. But um, before we get into kind of the main thrust of the conversation, can you just introduce yourself and let people know how you got introduced to the IFB movement? Yeah, sure. So uh, my name is Mickey, and uh, I got introduced to the IFB movement through the county jail. So uh, growing up, I wouldn't say I had a rough life, uh, but I certainly didn't have an easy life either. Okay. So my dad, my, so uh, my biological mom was a drug addict. I was adopted by my maternal grandparents when I was two years old. And then my adopted dad, my grandpa, uh, died when I was 12 from lung cancer. So for most of my formative years, I didn't really have a dad or a father figure to really speak of. And so uh, within three years of that happening, I started smoking weed and drinking alcohol, and that progressed to other harder drugs. Uh, so both my 18th and my 19th birthday, I spent in our local jail here in Rockford. And uh, 18th birthday was just like an overnight thing. And then uh, 19th birthday, I was in for 46 days. And that's when I heard about their addiction program, RU. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so, uh, that's, that's how I learned about the IFB church was through the RU program. And, uh, you know, kind of off the bat, you said things that seemed kind of weird. Um, thing. So one of the things that really, seemed strange to me was this idea that, well, only the King James Bible is the right Bible. Right. And I was like, that's, that's kind of weird. So I, I had been exposed to Christianity as a kid. Um, you know, I'd gone to an Assemblies of God church. I'd gone to a Nazarene church. Uh, my, my babysitter when I was growing up was a very devout Christian uh, and included gospel literature and videos and stuff like that in the materials <laughs> that she used for the daycare stuff. Uh, so I was, I was no stranger, uh, but it had been the first time in my life that I had ever heard that, well, the King James Bible is the only right Bible. And so uh, I ended up going to the men's home that they have here in Rockford. So that's a six-month program. I ended up staying in the home uh, for their quote-unquote grad program uh, for, I want to say, an additional two and a half years. Uh, so let's see. Uh, I graduated the men's home in 2008. I got married in 2013. Uh, so yeah, a total of probably uh, three and a half years, three, three and a half years. I was a, a large part of the ministry there. Got it. So it sounds like in a lot of ways, it was initially pretty positive. Your, I mean, as far as impact on you, yeah, oh it, yeah, yeah, it, it so, totally changed the course of my life. Right, right. So, 
that's obviously the really good side. So, so there's a, there's a good positive interaction. You're, you know, it's helped, it helped you make a lot of improvements, helped you get your life kind of on the right course and, and um, which is, which is awesome. Um, But, you know, like I've said before, like, obviously we're sitting here, so some other things must have happened in this story. Um, So you go through this process, things are positive. I'm assuming you have a pretty glowing review of this place in your mind and, and all the people associated with it up to this point. What was it that you first noticed where you were like, okay, something's not quite right or something's off or, you know, what, what was the first thing after all that, that good change that made you go like, Oh, this is, there's something else happening here. So I was, I I had not been there very long before people started uh, whispering about Calvinism and stuff like that. And obviously they uh, very highly frown on those types of doctrines. Right. Uh, So I was exposed to it. I mostly believed it with a, with a couple of caveats or asterisks here and there on certain doctrines. Right. Um, So, so right away, I shortly after, so probably about a year and a half into it, I knew that doctrinally they probably weren't the best uh, but I kind of overlooked it. Like it, they're making a difference in people's lives. They're making a difference. Um, even when, I don't know if you remember this, 2020 did an episode, uh, a special on abuse in IFB churches. Right. And I saw that. And the thought that went through my mind was, Oh, well, my church would never be involved in anything like that because they care about people. They're yeah. helping the people that are, that are the cast out, look down on people of society, Surely if something like that were to happen, they would do the right thing. And so uh, I, I desired to be a missionary. So I was going to the Bible college that they have. They have a very, very small Bible college at that time. It was run by a Bob Jones graduate. Okay. Um, and so I was taking some classes on preaching and I, I don't remember the original thought of the idea, but I, I had the idea that if, if, Christ is the center of our religion, our faith, then shouldn't we talk about him primarily in everything that we talk about? Right. And it was a Wednesday night service. The pastor Kingsbury had been going through a series on Proverbs and he was in chapter three and the title of the sermon was how to be a good neighbor. Mm -hmm. And he mentioned salvation by Christ, maybe one point early on in the sermon maybe by name another time. Uh, but there was, there was no connection to the gospel. There was no connection to the work of Christ. And that was the first time that I really saw, like, this is a Christless religion for the most part. Like, like they'll proclaim Christ for salvation. But after that, uh, it's when I stand up and teach you, I'm not going to be teaching you about Christ. I'm going to be teaching you about what to do and what not to do which we need those things. But in Christianity, I think it's so important that you not disconnect the commands of scripture with uh, the indicatives of scripture, the, the, who you are in Christ. That's a, that's a massive problem in a lot of IP churches. Now, you know, obviously, you know, I don't, I don't usually dive too deep into the theology side of things, but that's definitely was a factor in me, you know, stepping away. Um, kind of permanently from that movement was there was a heavy, like you said, there was a heavy, heavy um, emphasis on the imperatives of scripture and, and do this, do that to achieve this versus the indicatives of, you know, because Christ did this now 
your desire to out like your desire out of love is naturally going right. to be this, this, and this. It's not right. saying you're not going to do these things. It's not saying that you're not going to, you know, follow God's will for your life. It doesn't mean those things. It just means that the the power behind what you're going to do is is a lot different. Um, exactly. And so, yeah. So, well, so one of my one oh, of sorry, my friends ahead. one of my friends described. Uh, specifically North Love this way, but I'm sure it would apply to more IFB churches. They said it's like it's like Joel Osteen, except more strict. <laughs> yeah, I think that's fair. <laughs> I, you know, I've I've actually I, I actually brought this up to someone, um, and I, I've kind of played with it in my mind a little bit, just thinking through it because I've tried to make sense of like what the like what the thrust of the gospel message was in you know. The, in churches when I grew up and, and what it was. And I've kind of keep, keep circling back to the idea that it was kind of a prosperity gospel, except for they just moved the goalpost to eternal rewards. So it was, yeah. if you do this, you're going to lay up treasures for yourself in heaven. And, you know, I can't tell you how many times I heard messages about, you know, you know, when I get there, I'm going to have all these crowns and I'm going to, you know, you're going to have a reward. Are you going to be up there with your wood, hay and stubble or your gold, silver and precious stones? Like the Bible talks about those things, but it's not the driving factor right. behind what we do. And so, you know, I always looked at the way the gospel was presented in IFP churches. It was, you know, number one, the the main thrust was prosperity. It was, I don't want to die and go to hell. So I'm going to accept Jesus. And so the prosperity message was comfort and safety from hell. Instead of Christ is Lord, recognize your position before him and then submit to that position. And, yeah. you know, that's a that's a much different message than, you know, I evangelists coming in saying, even if, you know, um, horrible things like even if we're wrong, you know, what do you have to lose? at least accept Christ. So that way, if we, if we are right, you'll so never regret that decision. And, and, you know, and first of all, like your salvation experience is never going to be valid based on that kind of decision. Right. Of, I don't think it's real, but I'll just say the prayer and hope, you know, if it is, then it'll get me through or saying, you know, Oh, at least you've got your fire insurance. Like that kind of, those kind of phrases were very commonplace. And it really is like when you compare and contrast that with like the actual gospel message, it's very, very, very different than what, yeah. you know, I mean, the whole idea of Jesus in your heart is a whole rabbit trail. I could go, <laughs> I could go down, but it was, it was a very, it was a very heavy prosperity. It was work very hard, which is why I think there's a lot of pastoral abuse. It was, you know, sacrifice everything you have supporting the church and it'll, you know, God will make it up to you one day when you're, after you're dead and you're in heaven and you know, then, then it'll be taken care of. It's, it's just a really weird way of looking at Christianity and it's a very unfulfilling way to look at, at Christianity. Yeah. So that was, that was probably the, the financial abuse was probably uh, so aside from the theological problems, the financial abuse was probably the other big red flag that I had in my okay. mind. So uh, so if you were a part of the quote unquote grad program and, the, and they've changed this since then, but if you were a part of the grad program, uh, you got paid, uh, I want to say a, you get, you got paid by, by a once a week, 50 or $75 Walmart card in, wow. in the early days after doing a 40 hour work week for the ministry. 
Right. Um, then, uh, then they switched it from a Walmart card to, uh, to an actual check, but it was still like a small stipend. And they were like, Oh, well, we're providing your food and we're providing your housing and we're providing right. this and that. And so that's, that's all you need. So, so they justified it. Um, so then later on, uh, when Steve Currington, who started the RU ministry passed away, uh, they, I actually got a pay bump from $75 a week to minimum wage, okay. which, which felt like I was a millionaire because right. like, like now I'm getting a three figure check instead of a two figure check. Right. Um, and, and, but then I, I would start to notice like, and so I'm going to, I'm going to put this disclaimer because I think it's necessary, but I am not opposed to pastors making high five figures or low six figures. I think, I think a good pastor with a good sized church deserves a good salary. And that would be a good salary. I'm not opposed to pastors driving nice cars. I'm not opposed to pastors having nice things. I'm not against any of those things. Um, But when you have a pastor who, who they're, their, the property taxes on, on their residence is $10,000 a year when both him and his wife drive a late model Lexus when, uh, but then you have people who teach for your Christian school who are making minimum wage and you your secretaries are making minimum wage. And, and like there, there was just such a large disparity between the people at the top and their benefits and their salaries and the people at the bottom. And I was like, that's not Christian. That's, that's not love for neighbor. And so that was probably, and I stopped, I stopped giving to the church at that point mm-hmm. in my life. Uh, so I was still a part of the church, but, but, you know, I would see, so, so RU had a big conference every year and then they, the, the end of the conference would be a big banquet and they would have David Gibbs in to speak. And that was their fundraising event. And let me tell you, Gibbs knows how to raise money. Oh, yeah. No, definitely. So I, I don't know what cut he got of it, uh, but they would routinely raise between one hundred and $150,000 in that one night. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah, it's, it's um, yeah, Gibbs does know how to move a crowd for sure. Um, yeah, he does. You know, it's actually funny. So you brought up that 2020 documentary and I remember, so I was, I want to say, let me check the year on it, but I want to say that I was in 10th grade um, or maybe 11th grade. But anyway, I was at a conference in Fresno called um, Masters Men, oh, 2011. So yeah, I was in, I was in 10th grade when, uh, when that documentary came out and I remember Gibbs getting up at Masters Men and speaking about it and, you know, he was, there was several, I mean, several of the speakers got up and talked about it in a row, like just saying, this is the newest attack, you know, there, you know, there was always a portion of Masters Men where they would talk about some development and then they would tie it into like persecution of the church. So, you know, yeah, even, even, even like, okay, now they're taxing, um, this state is taxing gasoline-fueled buses, like buses that are non-diesel. They are obviously doing this because they're targeting bus ministries. And like when you're sitting, when you're sitting in there and you're listening to that, you're like, oh wow, they're targeting bus ministries. But like when you think about it, you're like, wait, that why would that specifically mean that they're targeting bus ministries? And 
the 2020 documentary, I remember Gibbs getting up and I don't remember everything he said. I've tried so hard to find the clip, but I don't know if they even recorded this segment. Um, but I just remember him getting up and saying, um, you know, this is so full of, essentially his thrust was, this is so full of lies and it's just a satanic attack on the church. Don't even waste your time watching it. Like it was basically like, don't watch this because it's such a ridiculous set of lies. And, you know, for me, the person I have that put it on the top of my watch list, you know, once I left and I finally did get to watch, I think it was uploaded to YouTube in, um, I want to say 2012, I watched it right around the time I was starting to find some stuff out about the church and there's nothing in there. That's like a blatant lie. I mean, you can look up the police reports, you can look up. But yeah, Gibbs was very good at telling you something and you believing it 100%. Um, he does that fake cry that he throws in when he needs to drive from a point. I, I was just, I mean, I was literally, I was just watching him speak at Lancaster's um, 34th anniversary of Paul Chapel yeah. being there, that celebration. And I was like, man, he knows how to, he knows how to get people on board with what he's doing. So, but yeah, so that's crazy. So a lot of money going into, are you like, are you is a huge program. They're yeah, oh yeah. bringing, they bring in money from all over the country. I, I yep. wouldn't even be able to guess a figure of how much it is. Um, but yeah. So after a banquet like that, did you see any of that money go into the ministry or? Uh, I mean, they all claimed it was going into the ministry, but it was all, uh, business as usual. Uh, even, even to this day, uh, RU runs uh, on debt and negative cash flow. Hmm. So like, so like uh, one year. Uh, can I, can I ask you this just really quick? Like, sure. how, how were you aware? Like, how are you aware of all of this? If you were a member or if you were like a, you know, former student, how did you become so aware of like the financial situation there? Uh, so, so uh, I used to work for Ben Burks, who is the international director at RU. I was, uh, I don't know if you want to call it secretary, administrative assistant, what, whatever title you want to give it, it doesn't matter. Uh, but I was basically his right hand man for most of the time that I worked there. Got it. Okay. And, and so their, their emotional, uh, or their their financial pleas. So they've they've done a number of things over the years. So uh, the bank was back in back in a few years ago, a number of years ago. I don't remember. Uh, the bank was talking about uh, collecting on the loan that they had on the men's home, and so there was a big uh, fundraising email that went out. We need. I think it was 110 or 105 or something like that, about $100,000 that they needed to pay off the note for the men's home or else they were going to lose it. Um, and then there was a big push for, we need $100,000 to uh, put a new roof on the men's home. Uh, and then uh, what people may or may not realize is when they asked for that money, they got all the money that they asked for. They could have put a new roof on the men's home, but then they repaired the roof that was there. And then they later had problems with the repairs and couldn't get the company that they contracted with uh, to do the repairs be, to, to, to fix the repairs that were broken, which go figure you fix a roof instead of replacing it. You're going to have problems with it later. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so 
uh, just an entire mess here. So they raised $100,000-ish to fix the roof. They contracted with a company, I won't say their name, uh, and they said, well, we really can't afford to pay that to fix it. Can you give us a deal? And, and then we'll, we'll give you the, the roof for the church. We'll, we'll pay you your full price mm-hmm. for that because insurance is going to cover that. And so they got a discount on the repair and then they never gave the company the, the roof for the church. Uh, and so, so, uh, get a discount, ruin the relationship and then try to get them to warranty their work. Of course, they're not going to do it because you screwed us. Yeah. Right. Interesting. Yeah. So the financial mismanagement was huge. Um, obviously. And you were, how long did you work there with, with, uh, like on the staff side? Uh, so from 2009 till 2000 till, so January 09 to August, 2012. Okay. Okay. So about three, three years. Yeah. Three and a half years. Cool. Um, okay. So past the financial side and the theological side, you know, I know we've talked beforehand a little bit. There was a lot more even beyond that. Um, so, yeah. So, so when we, <clears throat> are, are you talking about the sexual abuse stuff? Right. Yes. So, uh, so my wife and I, uh, in 2018, uh, so, so I really, I, I became very disenchanted with the church. Right. Um, my wife was a part of the Jericho program at Hiles. I don't know if you've heard about that. I haven't. Uh, so the Jericho program was, uh, it was like Scop's baby. And the idea was college dropout after the first year is so bad. Or, and, and okay. I, I, I know it's shocking rates. about, right. Yeah. I, so, I didn't know so the name give of you it. The first two years free. Yeah. It was called the Jericho program. So you give them the first two years free and then they have to pay full tuition for the last two years. Well, she got the two free years and then her dad had some health complications. So she finished her, her Bible college education at the school here at North love. Well, so, so we had every intentions of being missionaries to the Philippines. Okay. And so, uh, when I applied to BIMI missions, they had, they had come after, uh, the college had been coming after her for the, for the full tuition for those two years because she didn't graduate. And so they said, well, do you have any debt? And I was like, well, yeah, my wife's got 10, $12,000 school debt from Hiles for this. And they were like, oh, well, you can't apply if you have school debt. Like, oh, okay. And, you know, young family, we had a daughter at the time. We, we had just had a daughter. Um, and, you know, I wasn't, I was making maybe like 12, 13 bucks an hour at that point. Right. Oh, which, which reminds me back to the financial abuse. When I actually asked him for a raise because I was like, hey, you know, I'm moving down the path to marriage. We're talking about serious they they decided that my position was no longer uh necessary and they recommended that I look for a job outside of the ministry. Hmm. Right. So so it's necessary as long as you can pay me minimum wage, but when I need when I need to actually support a family, you want me to go find another job. Right. Um so uh so that was a huge huge blow to like my dreams and what what I thought God had wanted me to do. Uh, at the time. And so I became very disenfranchised with the church, fell back into drug addiction for a little while. Uh So on the tail end of that, going back to church, but like, I I couldn't stand it. Like my wife didn't want to go anywhere else because that's where she grew up at church. Uh, 
specifically that church. Uh, so, so every service I was like, you know, he could have connected it to Christ real easily, but he didn't, he doesn't want to. And so finally, after talking about it for three or four months, she was like, you know what? You're right. We need to look for another church. So we started looking, uh, we met with the pastor and, uh, normally I wouldn't, I wouldn't say like give details of a meeting, but we met in a public place. So I don't, I don't feel bad about sharing this. I don't, it doesn't violate my conscience. So when we told him we were leaving, we told him why we were leaving because, because the way he preaches was not Christ centered. He got visibly shakingly angry at us and this was Kingsbury. Yeah. Okay. And, and told us that, that we were not being obedient to God because God works through leadership and we were not under God's leadership and that we could only ever expect rebellion from our children from that day forward because we were in rebellion to God. So, so like a, a, a parting curse was placed upon us if you want to look at it that way. Right. So, and that was in, that was in, I want to say June, 2018. Um, so in our Sunday school class at the time, we, for, for weeks ahead of time would sign up, who's going to bring treats on what day. And so the, the, the next two Sundays after our meeting with, uh, Kingsbury, we, we had been signed up to take breakfast treats like donuts or whatever for Sunday school class. And so we told him that we said, we have obligations to our Sunday school class. And his response was, no, you don't. I don't want you on the property. You call your Sunday school teacher and tell him you're not, you're not welcome and tell them to talk to me if they have any questions. So we also had asked, can we continue to go to the RU program? Because again, tail end of, of relapse, pretty bad relapse. Um, and so face to face, he said, well, you're not, you're not leading, you're not volunteering, you're not leading a group. I don't have any problems with that. The next day at noon, he called me and he said, hey, I've got these seven, eight other guys in my office here with me, and we all talked about it, and you're not welcome to come. Wow. So, and, and that was that I, I expected it. My wife didn't. And so it was more difficult for her than it was for me. For me, it was just like the final nail in the coffin. These guys really don't believe what they claim to believe. So that was in 2018. Um, later, yeah, that's a crazy thing to leverage over somebody, you know, yeah. is especially cause I, cause like, I don't say I can understand it. I can, I can see where they rationalize saying, Oh, don't come to Sunday school because you're, I could see how they twist that and rationalize, but like to, you know, someone who just relapsed to say, you're not welcome to an addiction recovery program is a pretty, that's a pretty messed up thing to hold over somebody. Yeah. When they regularly have people on Friday night who come from other churches, Hmm. but like, it's not a requirement to go to RU that you be a member of the church that's hosting the RU. And so they have assemblies of God people and they have Lutherans and, and other types of church people that go, they're just not allowed to hold any, any volunteer positions unless they're a member of the church. And we weren't volunteering anywhere. Yeah. Got it. So, uh, so fast forward probably six or nine months and, uh, I'm hanging out with a friend of mine and he says, you know, North Love has, has covered up sexual abuse. I said, no. He said, yeah. I said, get out of here. And so he told me that a family member of his had been abused. And uh, she was like 12, 13, a younger age. Uh, that, the, that the person who did it was uh, 18. They were back from Bible college for the summer. 
uh, and that she had been getting counseling from one of the one of the older ladies in the church for behavioral issues. And uh, basically their advice was um, you need to forgive and forget and move on. Mm. And, and that was it. So I don't know if uh, if Kingsbury or any of the other pastors were complicit in that one. Or if she um, just, if that lady gave her that advice. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But I would imagine, uh, and you've alluded to this before that they have their thumb on everything. Well, like right. they know, they know what's going on in their church. Yeah. And so given the amount of, uh, pastoral authority that is regularly pro- proclaimed, I would find it very hard to believe that she did not go back to Kingsbury and tell him, Hey, this was disclosed to me. Right. Right. In fact, the family of the young man who did it, uh, they, they were moved out of town within a year. Uh, they took a position at a different church, uh, halfway across the country with, within a year of that happening, a year or two of that happening. Right. And when you say they were moved, did Kingsbury help them get that new position or did they just, that was before I had anything to do with the church. Got it. So, uh, I, I don't know entirely about that. Um, but, but since then, uh, my wife and I have really put some feelers out on the ground because I, I do not think, uh, that it is just to cover up sexual abuse at all ever. It's wrong. And so I said, well, if there's one, there's more. And so my friend had, had actually a total of three. Hmm. And so when his family members close to him, he, he started asking around because, because he wanted to be sure that she wasn't making it up. He believed her, but he wa- he needed to verify it. Right. And so he found another person who had been abused by the same person. And then uh, he found another person. Uh, and this is the one that's moving forward with, with, uh, with legal action. Um, so I'll get into that one here next, but he found another person who had been abused by, by the same person. Um, and then the third person that he had been friends with since high school, uh, she had been abused by not even a deacon in the church, but somebody that would had been in the church. And uh, she had later in life been offered a job to teach at the Christian school. Okay. And, and so she told the principal, there's been some things that happened to me and the guy still goes to church here. And as long as he goes to church here, I'm not, I'm not going to be comfortable teaching here because I, I don't know if I'm going to be here that long. And so he recommended that she meet with Pastor Kingsbury. So she met with Pastor Kingsbury. Pastor Kingsbury basically said, let me see what I can do. Nothing became of it. The principal followed up on the job. She said, I never heard anything from Kingsbury. He said, follow up with her so or with him. So she followed up with him. And the response basically was, uh, nothing's going to happen. He's not going to apologize like you want. He's not going to admit that what he did was wrong like you want. And uh, if you can't get over it, then I, I suggest you move out of state and just go to another church somewhere if it's going to be a problem. Wow. That's crazy. Um, yeah. So, 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 so at this point, there's three victims that you're aware of from that uh, up to this point in the story. There were three separate victims, one from someone in the church, then two from one of the former deacons. Uh, so none of, none of them were deacons. So two, okay. there, two of the victims were from, from a t, uh, teen, he was a teenager who was back from Bible college. Um, got it. 
and and the one was from he he was a i don't know if he owned the business or if he was like gm highly rated head honcho of the business uh but he's a wealthier man in the church okay but i I don't think he is or has been a deacon got it well this is all surprising until you until you look and see uh kingsbury was a member of a Hiles Anderson college. Yeah. And it all starts making sense. You have the Gibbs connection and the Hiles connection. Yep. Always, always, always. So he's extremely good friends with chapel with Paul chapel. Yeah. Right. That's probably where I saw him. Cause I, I remember when we initially talked, I was like, I know him very well. Like I'm very familiar with his face. What I'm just not sure of is, if I saw him at West coast at an event, if I saw him at my church, but honestly he's, I, he went to the same college that my pastor did. So they were probably close friends too. So I'm sure I saw him probably at my church and the conference and other conferences nearby, you know? So anyway. Yeah. So, so then, then we really started looking. And so there was actually, I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but how, how were you looking? Like, how were you, when you say you're putting feelers out or looking, was it just asking a ton of people or? Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. So, so we, uh, so we just started asking primarily women and, and basically we were like, Hey, we've heard of stories of sexual abuse that are being covered up did anything happen to you or do you know of anybody that something may have happened to? Mm. And so uh, that led to another name and this person was they, so they were going to the Christian school at the time. They were abused by a staff member uh, over a period of time uh, ongoing. Uh, Eventually she brought it to the school principal and to Kingsbury they tried to delete the evidence from her phone and then she was later expelled from the school. Wow. Okay. And the staff member was moved to a uh, senior pastorate uh, in the far South of the country. Hmm. Is the, um, is the principal still there? Is it the same guy? Uh, so he, he does still work for the church, but he's not the principal anymore. Got it. Okay. Um, so, so then, uh, we've, so, so those are, those are the four people that we've made direct contact with. Um, one of my wife's friends, uh, though she was never abused was groomed by a man in the church for abuse. Okay. Uh, I, I don't know if he just never had the opportunity or, uh, or, or what, uh, but like expensive jewelry gifts starting in like second, third grade. Wow. Uh, and and like notes you're pretty and and stuff yeah. like that um later i heard from another so uh so a lot of a lot of these stories of abuse so those are the those are the ones that i've heard from the victims uh and then there's there's three or four more uh that i've heard secondhand okay so so one lady who used to go to our church uh, we reached out to her and said, Hey, we're working with some abuse victims. Uh, she had said something on Facebook or something like that, that made us think that she might know somebody. And she said, yeah, I'm currently working with two girls who were abused while they were at North love. And, and so we gave her joy riders information to pass along. 
Um, I don't know if she did or not. Uh, Kyra, my wife also said, you know, we'd be happy to talk to them too. Uh, they never reached out to us. Um, so I don't, I don't know any of the details there. And then, uh, the third most significant one that I learned of recently, um, this is from, uh, somebody else in our community and he didn't tell me who it was, but he said that, uh, so this is the same. So the person that did the grooming of my wife's friend, uh, it's a story regarding him. And I was told that he abused somebody when they were nine years old. When they got older, I don't know if it was teenager or 20s or how much older, they went to the associate pastor at the church and said, uh, and told the associate pastor what had happened. And they were going to do an investigation. And when they came back, the response to the victim was basically, well, what did you do to provoke the behavior? So, so yeah, at, at nine years old. Um, and then, so the person that told me about it confronted Kingsbury about it and, and Kingsbury's response was almost the same thing. Well, what did they do to cause it? Mm. Like, like what, what do you mean? They're nine. Yeah. But I, right. I don't care if the nine year old's dancing naked in front of you. You're a grown man. You don't, you don't touch a nine year old. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's a that's such a crazy way of thinking. And and I've I mean I've said this even even up to the age of sixteen, seventeen, your brain is just not developed to a point. Like I mean, obviously, like I, again, I I, I really struggle because I've had I've had people who've said you know well in this case the girl was seventeen, she was almost adult. Like yeah, it's still bad, but but I but again, I'm just like well. I look back at I at least in IFB circles for sure. The average seventeen-year-old is not educated in sex to the point of an average seventeen-year-old, at least. Like yeah, not see, even to I that. Didn't, point. I didn't grow up. I, I didn't grow up in an IFB church. I didn't even really grow up going to church, and I probably went to one of the better public high schools in our state. And so I I had a good sex education when I was going through high school. So I I don't, I don't, I I don't have the experience to draw off of to compare that. Right. But I mean, even regardless, like the, here's the problem with, with this. And I, I'm sorry, I don't want to rabbit trail too much from your story, but I want to talk like, cause I just, there's certain things that get brought up where I just know that there's someone saying they're justifying something because they don't want to admit that this is an issue or that this is a problem. And you know, I, I spent an hour on the phone with a college student, um, who, who had called me and was like bothered by what I was doing. And I was like, you know, let's not text about, it. let's like just hop on the phone. Sure. And right. Like right before we were about to hang up, he was like, he's like, yeah, he's like, and I just don't get stuff like, you know, there's certain clothing that girls wear where it's just like, what else would you wear that for? Like he was talking about, like, I think he was talking about yoga pants or something. He was like, why else would you wear it if you didn't want the attention or this? And I was like, whoa, okay, this is going to be a lot longer conversation. So we started talking about it. But I just said, I said, first of all, I said, women don't wear yoga pants for us. I said, they're comfortable. <laughs> I said, My wife has never worn any kind of pants like that because of me. It's because it's comfortable. But I said, second, second of all, I said, you're misunderstanding, like, in cases of rape or molestation, it's not about the sex necessarily. That's definitely a factor in it. But the the, the issue is it's a power dynamic. It's yep. it's exerting power over somebody. And so 
even if, which I don't agree with the statement, I want to be very clear, I don't agree with the statement that someone can be asking for it or presenting themselves in a sexual manner or fill in the blank with whatever, why did you go to that party or present yourself this way? At the end of the day, the person who's deciding to exert power is the person responsible. And in the dynamic of a church or a for someone over like for someone who's older and maybe does understand some things or whatever, if someone in the church is using their position to manipulate someone or coerce someone into a sexual encounter, they're assault like they are assaulting them using their power dynamic. Power yep. doesn't always mean you're big and strong and you overpower them physically. There's mental power, there's spiritual. I mean, Jack Jack Scott told the girl that it was Jesus's will for them to be together. Um, yeah, you know, like, it's, how far out in cuckoo land you got to be to say right, something like that. But, but it, when you're a 13 year old girl and that's the man of God, you're right. like, oh, okay, you know. And same thing with a with a kid. Like a nine year old's not responsible for a 20 year old or a 30 year old knowing how to manipulate their way into a situation. And so right. the one thing that I just throw back to anybody who would suggest that, you know, whether the person's 40 or whether they're nine, you know, what I would say is look at the power dynamic. There's always a, a an inordinate amount of power given to the person who's enacting the abuse every single time. It's, it's never just a sex thing. That's a, it's never right. just that there's a, there's a power dynamic to it. So I just wanted to say that because I think that's something that people, even people who disagree with abuse, I see them get stuck on, you know, well, at what age is it really, you know, this, or it, it's not about the age. It's not about the, the sex part of it. It's about the power dynamic. And within yeah. IFB churches where the power is very deliberately placed on one or two people, there's going to be abuse of that power. Yep. So, anyway, that's my rant for today. <laughs> yeah. So, so a couple of other uh, weird things that have come up through the years. Um, we had uh, the Duggar kid. What's what's his name? Uh, Josh. Yeah, Josh Duggar. So, so <clears throat> there was. Uh, I mean, RU got like like their fifteen minutes of fame when, right. when Josh Duggar was in town. And, and they don't have any evidence that he was here. And the reason for that is because they kept him at the men's home. So right. he was here. Well, be, before we get into that, just for anybody who doesn't know, uh, I mean, I'm pretty sure everybody that listens to the show is probably familiar with the Duggars. I mean, it's they're one of the biggest names in America, like through their reality show. But the Duggars are the family from 19 Kids and Counting. Um, and essentially it came out, um, it was leaked to the press that Josh Duggar had been uh, – I think his dad, yeah, he was like, yeah, oh, that's what happened. That's right. I forgot how it initially had come out. So um, what happened was um, when Ashley Madison was hacked, which is the affair site, Ashley Madison was hacked, tons of emails connected to it were released. Josh Duggar's name was on the site. And that basically led to kind of a deep dive into Josh Duggar from the media, which ended up pulling up um, a police report from when he was a little kid um, that he, not, I say little kid, he was... I forget the age, but he was a, he was a teenager, I believe, and yeah. he had um, been caught by his dad molesting his sisters at their house. Um, so Josh Duggar, according to the news reports, got sent out to you know a treatment facility, you know, and um, when he was a teenager, he had got sent to some kind of troubled boys' home, um, and then 
he was sent to RU after this Ashley Madison story broke. Um, so yeah, so so the and the Duggar, the Duggars are very connected with the IFB as well. In case anybody didn't know that, but I think it's kind of obvious from their um, from how they operate and what they wear, and they're they're part of that camp, um, and they. Like I know West Coast singing trios from West Coast Baptist College have visited them and sang at their house. Um, they're very big with um, Goddard, um, who did a lot of like, that's where they get all their curriculum for raising kids. So they are very much a part of that world, um, even though they may not necessarily say they're IFB in the show. They're definitely connected. So Yeah, they're part of the Quiverful movement. Yes, which is, yes. Which is like a subset of IFB. Right. Yeah, it's definitely a more extreme side. Yeah. Um, but they're, they are very much connected. Yep. So, so, uh, so he was in the home, and so the church turned off the live stream, and mm. uh, they told everyone in the church, yeah, it's, it's kind of interesting. They always turn off the live stream yeah. for all these big well, announcements. That literally just happened. I don't know if you saw it, but that literally just happened with Kim and Giovanelli at his Yeah, that's, that's why I referenced they, it. Uh, they shut off the live stream that announced him by first name only. It's, it's, it's a very intentional move on the church's part, for yep. sure. Yep. So they had, they had shut off the live stream and they said, if anyone contacts any of you to ask if anyone is at our homes, your answer needs to be this and that it's a private, private treatment facility and that we can't give out that information and that you need to call the church office or the RU headquarters if you have any questions. Hmm. And so they like, they like coached the church on how to handle those situations. And then uh, the, the other big thing, and I don't think I heard about this until after my wife and I had left. Uh, yeah, there we go. Oh, yeah. So I just want to pull this up while we're talking. So, um, then, then the other big thing that came up and, and I'm going to look it up cause I want to get the details right. Um, So Tony Tony Richardson, he was who at the director of development? Is he still there? No, he is not. Um, he he was he was in charge of raising money. Got it. Farmers contributed forty minute month. Patients are placed into. I didn't want to cut you off. I just wanted to pull this up and and look at it. No, you're good. Uh, so. Uh, the other thing that came out, uh, so this came out in 2015, and this is a blog article um, on Patheos. Uh, so <clears throat> Bob Jones invited Grace, which is uh, Billy Graham's grandson's organization. Yeah, uh, Boss Chavidian or, or yeah, 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 I don't know how Boss, you say his name. Boss Chavidian, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, he's done some really awesome work with exposing abuse. And, and I remember Bob Jones bringing him in um, and then showing him the door and then bringing him back, bringing him back in. It's kind of an interesting saga. Yeah. So one of the people identified in his uh, research, if you want to call it that, or his work at Bob Jones uh, was a man by the name of Richard Duvall. Okay. And, and so Richard is, has 
was allegedly abusive of somebody at his time at Bob Jones University. It was not handled well. Um, and he is now a uh, North Love Baptist Church is the sending church of uh, Richard Duvall. The victim has, uh, they asked the, the sending mission board. I want to say it's like Baptist seed missions or something like that. Okay. Uh, and, and requesting that they bring him back so he could be interrogated by the police. They basically said, we believe Richard's done everything necessary for biblical repentance. And we don't think he has to come back to speak to the police. Uh, and, uh, so he was overseas they, at this point. Yeah. He's in Bolivia. Wow. And, and they, uh, uh, and so we are, uh, North love. I say we were, I haven't been at North love in a while. Um, he, uh, North love is the sending church. And so, uh, when it, when it came out that, uh, there were these allegations against him and that there was a police report filed and that, that they were going to be investigating him, uh, from what I understand, and again, I don't know this firsthand. Uh, supposedly, Pastor Kingsbury told them to. I don't know if they were raising support, more support, or uh, if they were just on a mandatory furlough or what. Uh, but at that point, they were given advice to leave the states uh, from Pastor Kingsbury, as as the story goes. I don't know that for sure, but that's what the allegations are. Right. That's crazy. That's a similar story. So, and again, just context for people who don't know, and then, and then I want to bring up one comparison and then we can jump back in. There's a lot of directions now at the point we're at. Um, but <laughs> with, you know, with the side of Bob Jones, so Grace is a organization that investigates, you know, sexual abuse within churches and they essentially do, you know, I, I would say that they're somewhat adjacent to the kind of stuff that I'm trying to do, but they do it on a much larger scale. They have professional investigators. They've got, you know, they're like a, you know, I, I wouldn't put myself in the same league. Like they're, they're very good at what they do. Very good yeah. at, you know, doing studies. I mean, they've, it's a, it's a legitimate organization. Um, and so Bob Jones university, and I think it was honestly, like if I had to guess, I would say that Bob Jones, because of all the stuff that stuff fundies like was posting at the time, I think Bob Jones wanted to prove that they weren't a bad IFB college and that they did have their stuff together. But anyway, so Bob Jones University hired Grace to come in, uh, investigate sexual abuse. Um, Grace came in and started interviewing students, and they found, I want to say half of the people that they interviewed had experienced some kind of abuse or had been told to not report abuse. Um, I think that was the two categories. Um, there's a huge document. I read through it all when it came out, but it's, uh, yeah, it's like a hundred pages or something. Yeah. Like it's, that. it's shocking. Like every statistic is as bad as you could imagine it being. And mm. so in the middle of their investigation, Bob Jones fired grace from doing the investigation that they had hired them to do. Um, grace posted a report saying, you know, we were unable to finish our report. Bob Jones has fired us. Everybody blasted Bob Jones for doing that. Bob Jones brought them back in. Grace did the whole report and submitted some suggestions for Bob Jones. And as, as of now, I don't believe that Bob Jones ever followed any advice or, or did any follow-up based on that. But you can read all that. Like, just 
Google stuff fundies like and Grace Report. Google the Grace Report, Bob Jones. You'll be able to find uh, variation. I, d- I definitely recommend if you have time just to read through the whole document because it is a pretty – it's a very well-researched document, huge group of test subjects, and it's pretty shocking the, the results they got. Um, I want to hit one more thing before you jump back in because I want to ask you about the Duggars connection a little bit more. But you mentioned a missionary who got caught with sexual abuse and then ended up going to the mission field. And that's a pattern that I'm starting to see within IFB um, kind of circles. I'm starting to see people that are getting moved from, uh, you know, the U.S. to international ministries. Obviously, we've seen with guys like David Hiles get moved to Texas from Indiana or things like that. But I'm also starting to see... Um, stories where people are, you know, caught with sexual abuse, become missionaries and spend their time or majority of their time overseas. Um, it's a, it's a pretty interesting thing. Are you familiar with the case of, uh, of Mark Fuller? No, Have you ever it heard? sound familiar. Let me see if I can find a, the video. So Mark Fuller was part of the series praying from the pulpit that was done on Hiles Anderson. And okay. I actually, know someone close to that situation and they said so so the case is kind of interesting in the fact that fuller was accused by someone then the the accusation ended up being dropped but all the people that are close to it the story seems to be that there was a lot of pressure put on the family by the church and the family did not have a lot of financial resources to continue fighting it so they just ended Mm -hmm. up dropping the resource, but I just want to play this clip and then I want to show you where this guy is at today. Um, because I, he has not been mentioned on the show yet and he's definitely someone I think people need to be aware of. Um, let me just share it really quick. I need to get a Jamie like Joe Rogan so I can share, pull that up. (laughs) Um, (laughs) so here we go. Um, yeah, we'll just go ahead and play this whole clip because I think it's again, for people not familiar with the story, it's pretty, pretty gnarly. Fuller, a soul winner in the bus ministry of North Sharon Baptist Church, southwest of Ann Arbor. Fuller's been in jail since late last year on charges he molested young children. And North Sharon Baptist Church has a ton of stories around it, too, if anyone wants to research. Children who had been brought to the church aboard his bus. At a court hearing earlier this year, 10-year-old J.J. told how Fuller took him and several other little boys on a church camping trip. J.J. and another youngster testified Fuller led them in group masturbation sessions and later ordered them into his tent one at a time to be sodomized or perform oral sex. He would tell me to go out of the tent and then he would cross in the outside. Nine-year-old Mike testified about the pain of being sodomized by Fuller, the church bus driver. I told him it hurt and for him to quit. Did he? Yeah. When Fuller was arrested, detectives confiscated his Bible, which was autographed by controversial preacher Jack Hiles. Hiles presides over the First Baptist Church of Hammond, Indiana, a fundamentalist house of worship. With hundreds of like-minded preachers from around the country loudly applauding, Hiles and Ohio attorney David Gibbs presented awards to key figures in the North Sharon Baptist Church as defenders of the faith. 
Pastor William Winnegar and Associate Pastor Timothy Leonard were congratulated by Hiles, who told them he was proud of them. It's a jungle out there. And it is a jungle. But you've stood in the jungle and held your head high and stood tall. Mark Fuller's wife was given a special Christian Justice Award since her husband is still in jail facing child molesting charges. And I'm, I'm glad my husband has to be in jail. It's for uh, an eternal cause. Rose Carr and Maxine Teachout are the mother and grandmother, respectively, of three boys allegedly molested by Mark Fuller. The two women were appalled at the awards presentation. How can you um, want your husband home to live with him, sleep with him, and no one he'd rather prefer a kid, according to all these stories. I just can't believe that. It's just like it's listening to, uh, like listening to the Jim Jones movie. So, uh, yeah, so that was a, that was a big case, but like he's, he's out of prison uh, or out of arrest and he's been doing a ton of missions work um, in other countries. And I just, after hearing that story, and then having someone reach out to me and send me this picture where he's surrounded by tons of kids in this small village. Like it's that kind of stuff is so confusing when I look at the IP and you look at, you know, Hiles awarding guys like that for being heroes. You look at, I just, I just struggle when people say this is not an issue that repeats itself over and over and over again. Cause you see the right. same exact steps taken every single time that, you know, one of these cases goes down. So anyway, I just want to share that because when you said that, that, that reminded me exactly of that story. That's a, that's an identical solution um, on that end. Um, But, but circling, circling back to the, to the Duggars, um, in the article I was just reading, it was saying that the Duggars had a previous connection to North Love or they had, they had like spoken at some stuff there. Like what, what was the connection with the Duggars at, at, um, North love. Yeah. So, uh, they, they had been to the church. I think, I think the, uh, Duggar patriarch, I don't know what his name is. Uh, Jim, Jim Bob, I think. Yeah, that's yeah, what Jim it Bob. is. It's a, it's a very classic Southern name. <laughs> right. And, uh, I, I think he had spoken at a marriage conference or some sort of staff retreat or something like that. Okay. Um, but I, I remember it was a big deal cause, cause, uh, when when they got there, they they uh, they had like a big stretch limousine that they all came in, hmm. which I mean you figure 20, 20 kids, nineteen kids plus, yeah. plus two adults, you got to have something really big to transport right. that many people. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's a, yeah. That's a, that's wild. Like that that connection's crazy just because that story was so big and there was a lot of secret. You know, secret secret secretiveness <laughs> secrecy yeah. there's a lot of secrecy around that that story yeah so so that it it happened when i was that that part happened while i was still really disenfranchised with the church right um well, so so i want to say yeah that's, that's about as ifb as you can get in one picture <laughs> yeah but, it is but um they had uh i know that they I know that Jim Bob had been scheduled to speak at something, but that it was canceled. Uh, his his presence was canceled because of what happened with Josh. Got it. Yeah. Well, I remember TLC at that time, who which is the network the show is on. They were really 
restricting them and what they could say, do until they could figure out. And I, and I think they pulled all episodes with Josh and were the show was canceled for a stretch. And it, it was a pretty wild time because basically the most conservative Christian family in America, you know, got ousted as being, you know, this, I mean, there's some was literally running like some kind of coalition, like family and freedom type organization at, yeah, at the time was, that that got released. Yeah. Josh was working for, uh, some sort of, uh, lobbying group, Christian lobbying group. Yeah. I forget what it was, it was like faith and family or something like that. Yeah, but, um, something like that. I'm sure that's not hard to pull that stuff up, but yeah, so so this is all 2018. You're finding out a lot of these situations. What's been what's been kind of the past since then? How have you, you know, how, so how many victims total did you say altogether? Uh, between eight and nine. Between eight and nine, and um, has any of this gone to the the church past that point, or is it to just go pretty much straight to the legal kind of side? Um, so, uh, my friend and I met with the principal of the school just because they had had a good relationship when he was younger. And he said to meet with the pastor, uh, that seems to be the trend with all of these stories. Don't talk to me, talk to the pastor. Yeah, I, I wasn't, he did not want to meet with the pastor at all. I said that I thought it was the right thing to do. Um, but then I talked to Joy Ryder and she said, if you do meet with the pastor, it's just going to give him a chance to circle, circle the wagons. Right. So, so both her and the attorneys that, that are being retained both said, don't go to the pastor, let us handle it. And so, uh, the first of those cases is, is, uh, starting the process. Uh, the church should have gotten a letter last week or this week. Uh, and, uh, hopefully it'll be. I don't know if it'll require going to court, but I'm sure, I'm sure whatever's going to happen will happen. Right. Right. So, um, so obviously at the time this releases, we'll already be in the middle of the, you know, the actual legal side of this whole case. Um, but just, well, let me think of how I want to word that. Cause I don't want to, I don't want to ask you to predict or, or anything or, or, what you expect the outcome to be. I, I know my friend would like to see Kingsbury resign yeah. uh, at a minimum along with, with public apologies. <clears throat> and obviously the attorney's got to get paid for their time. I don't think the victims are, uh, obviously I can't speak for them, but as far as I know, I don't think that they're expecting or desiring any sort of financial remuneration or, or reimbursement. Yeah. Um, I guess I was curious about that. Like what the desired outcome was, um, and, and what the, you know, in an ideal situation, how would we like to see this end? Um, yeah, so, I mean, uh, the Grace organization, I'm pretty sure he has a book on how to prevent child abuse. Um, so, so ensuring, obviously, obviously, if, if a church has written policies and doesn't follow it, like, that's, that's something different. But, but at a minimum, uh, Pastor Kingsbury's resignation and written policies in place to prevent stuff like this happening again. Right. Because uh, as, as of our meeting with the principal, they did not have any sort of written policies on hand, how to handle abuse that's, allegations. That's crazy. Especially, especially for a school. Uh, that's crazy yeah. that that's not, because you have fire drills, you have active shooter drills. Now you have all, like to not have anything for sexual abuses is shocking to me. Um, 
Especially when they're mandated reporters. Right. I was going to ask that too. Um, and I guess it's kind of my last question about this, this topic, but is there, um, are any of these cases within the statute of limitations where the people who were involved in the actual abuse, because I would assume that Kingsbury would be open to some kind of penalty as well, being a mandated reporter. Yeah. So uh, that's a, that's a complicated question. Okay. So, so Illinois in the last, I want to say maybe five years has changed the statute of limitations uh, two or three times regarding yeah. sexual abuse, particularly sexual abuse of minors. This year, because um, I know Joy had had presented at one of this, the council meetings. I think they extended it by another couple of years. Um, she spoke to eliminate it completely, but... Um, yeah, so, so Illinois did eliminate it completely. Okay. Oh, 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 yeah, yeah. It was Indiana that, where she presented. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so prior... Uh, I want to say it, I, I want to say a few years ago, uh, it had to be reported to the police within a certain time frame, and then uh, and then within an additional time frame, it had to be investigated and charges brought. Uh, and it was like two years and three years or something like that. It was a really That's short crazy. window. Yeah. Uh, then it was changed to uh, if it happened before you were eighteen, you had like. 10 years or 20 years from your 18th birthday to, to bring it forward or something like that. And now they have completely eliminated the statute of limitations okay. on child sexual abuse. Yeah. And, and again, I, I'm going to rabbit trail on this. Cause again, this is another, and I appreciate you letting me go on the charge. But I think there are important topics to, to cover Absolutely, is, you know, the, I've had people again, push, you know, you see it with every case, every, I mean, you saw that with, with every mainstream case that comes forward. Well, why didn't they report it sooner if it was such a big deal or why didn't they say something when they're okay. I mean, one, just think about when you were a kid and the things that you were scared to go talk about because you were unfamiliar. Like now imagine that that's an abuse case or a rape case or something like that. Um, I forget what the statistic is, but there was a, there was a study done and I'll, I'll add it in the show notes to this episode. There was a study done that found, I think it was the average person takes whose abuse as a child waits till their thirties to come forward because that's, that's when they're mentally able to talk about it. Um, but it, it is like it, this, the issue with the statute of limitations is that, and trust me, the victims are aware of the issue of coming forward later because there is a lot of these cases where, they don't have an ability to get any kind of financial compensation compensation for the the trauma or the therapy they've had to pay for or all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, there's, you know, there's less ability to collect evidence. The longer you get, you get out from these cases, victims are, are very well aware of those consequences of coming out later, but to, to share a traumatic experience like that is to, in a lot of cases, allow yourself to be re-traumatized by all the memories and the things. So a lot of, even therapists will, that I've talked to will encourage people like, just wait till you're ready because you're opening up this huge traumatic event back in your mind. And so to expect someone to report the next day or three weeks later or 30 days later or six months later is not realistic. Right. And so 
when someone like me or, you know, like Joy Ryder pushes to eliminate the statute of limitations, it's not because we want someone to be able to make up an allegation in 40 years if they don't like somebody, which is statistically very rare to happen. Right. The reason that we do that is because the average person mentally and psychologically just happens to report way later in life. Um, you know, I've shared, I've shared on this show, like I, I, my case was not severely extreme um, in comparison to some of the stories I've had on the show. But for me, like I didn't address it. I talked about it instantly when it happened and I didn't talk about it again. Like nobody knew that up until earlier this year. And it's like, again, that took me literally starting a podcast where I was talking about this stuff constantly to be able to come forward and talk about it. So it's, it's, for those who I used to understand, defend the statute of limitations and all that kind of thing. But the more that I talk to therapists, to trauma specialists, to, I mean, to survivors of, of this stuff, the more I realize that it's causing a lot more harm than good. Um, so anyway, I just want to, I just want to say that because there, again, that's something I know there's someone saying, they're saying like, well, why now? Is it, it like, is it for the financial gain? Is it for this? And I would, I think it's probably, you know, with most of these cases, it's safe to assume that the chance of any kind of benefit that would outweigh the pain of going through all this process would not really be worth it. You know, that's, I, I would have to assume that, um, you know, with, with Joy Ryder's case, like with the, whatever the outcome is of that case, it's not going to take away any of the stuff that happened or the, the way that she's viewed by people based on the fight she's going through right now. You know, yeah. it's, it's, there's no dollar sign amount you can put on that. And right. so I think it's just disrespectful to victims to say, you know, Hey, you should have done it this way. You should have followed the procedure of how to report your own abuse. And it's right. it's like, it's, that's just not how human beings work. And again, think about when you were a kid, you know, even if it wasn't your fault, which it's not your fault, there's still so much shame that your mind tells you to have. That's going to li- yeah. limit you from going forward. So yeah well like like my family for example and and growing up i i i don't remember not to say that it didn't happen but i don't remember anyone talking to me about what abuse is what abuse looks like um and so so going through this has has really opened my eyes and and so i know like you you have at least a child i've heard reference to maybe more than one um and i've got I've got three on and uh, my oldest two are six and four and probably 18 months ago. So she would have been five and he would have been, he probably, he probably would have still been four, maybe, maybe like late three. Uh, w- my wife and I sat down and we had a conversation with them and we said, Hey, you have areas that it is not okay for anybody to ever touch you. And if anybody ever touches you in those areas, you haul off and you punch him in the nose as hard as you can and you run away as fast as you can and you find somebody for help. And, and so uh, we've taught him how to throw a punch. We've taught him how to make a fist and, and like the church is the last place where you should have to do that, where, right. where you should have to be concerned about your child's safety. Right. Yeah, I agree. And unfortunately, like I mean, this shows a testament to the fact that it's not always that way. Um, but yeah, it's it's the same thing with mine, and, and and that's the one thing. Like, it's weird to say like the good thing that come out of me being exposed to this stuff, and like, you know, the the cautious 
feelings I have towards some of this stuff, just from my own personal experience. Like the good thing is it's taught me to be hyper vigilant with my own kid. And like my, my daughter's two and a half. Um, and you know, but, but she already knows, like if she doesn't feel comfortable with someone, she doesn't have to give them a hug. She doesn't have to give a kiss on the cheek to anybody who wants her to, she doesn't have to, you know, and that's important. Like teaching her boundaries, teaching her that, you know, I, I just remember like as a kid, like I just felt like I was communal property of the church, like whatever anybody told me to do. Okay. They're the adult, you know, and you know, with her, it's teaching her that boundaries, like know your limits, know what other people can and can't do. And that conversation needs to start very early on. Yeah. Um, you know, so I think that's really awesome. And, um, you know, I always, I always, um, joke, you know, I, I'm a, I'm a complete pacifist. Um, but you know, if I, whenever I think about these cases, if I was on the other end of that, I, I think I would probably switch my position pretty quickly. Um, yeah. but yeah, it's, uh, yeah, I'm really interested to see how this case develops. I know the legal process is going to take forever, but, um, I appreciate you at least sharing this and we can get the word out and kind of hammer, you know, what's going on here. I'm, you know, as of recording this, uh, we've got a, a quite a runway before I can actually share any of this information, but, um, I'm very eager to get this out. So people know this and are aware of this. And, you know, again, even if the legal side doesn't, you know, I'm, I'm hoping and praying that it does, but even if it doesn't end up leading to anything, I hope that at least kind of the media type blitz on this case is going to at least keep people aware um, and keep their yeah. eyes out. So, well, I mean, I, I fully expect, cause I'm still friends with a lot of people that go to church at North Lone. Uh, I, I fully, <laughs> as of this recording. That, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I fully expect it, it's been dwindling because, because, uh, I'm I'm much more central in my politics than I used to be, and so uh, anytime right. somebody talks politics, I'm like, hey, you're getting your Christianity and your politics mixed mixed up. Be a, right. be a Christian first, and so uh, there have been some people that have unfriended me. Thankfully, I don't have to do go through my friends list and do right. it. Um, so, uh, but I, I I have a strong suspicion that I'm going to be labeled as bitter that that i'm going to be labeled as somebody who's persecuting the church as somebody who has an agenda and and i'll say this they're right i I do have an agenda and that's that's standing up and speaking out for the people that that have been silenced and that can't speak for themselves and that need somebody to come along and be an advocate for them because jesus was an advocate for me and uh and so that's what i that's what i'm so that's my agenda to be an advocate for the victims that's awesome that's awesome. Well, thanks, man, so much. Um, I, we may have to do an episode once this kind of gets rolling and and follow up with all of this. But I think this is a lot of good information, and you know, I think we got to hit on a couple really important topics related to this issue. So, um, again, thanks. You know, thanks for coming on. I know it's not necessarily an easy position to be in um, when when you know people in that world. Um, you know, I know I know people all over the country in the IFB, so it's like sometimes it's awkward, you know, doing this because um, I think people question <laughs> motivation. But I'm right there with you. Like I'm, you know, I've said before, I'm not I'm not bitter. I'm I'm angry. I do have an agenda to expose abuse within these churches, and you know, as long as these churches have an agenda to cover it up, I'm going to have an agenda to expose it. So yep. I, I'm glad to have people like you kind of joining with me and doing the same thing. Um, 
So yeah, we'll, we'll keep updated. Uh, for everybody listening, I'll post updates pretty regularly once this gets rolling, uh, which by the time this releases, it'll probably just be announced um, what happens. So um, we'll just go ahead and, and leave it here for now, and then we'll pick it up if we, uh, if we get some updates here down the road. So thank you so much, Mickey, for coming on and for sharing your story. Yeah, you bet. Have a good day, Eric. Thank you for listening to the Preacher Boys podcast. If you appreciated the content on the show, please leave a review on iTunes and don't forget to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter with the handle at Preacher Boys Doc. Additional information can always be found on PreacherBoysDoc.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.